0: thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. Okay. So, last week officially about unity and world religions. And in this chapter, we're going to talk about the religion of Smorgasbord, which is a Swedish religion. Not very well known. Um, It was founded by the Chef (laughs) Smörderbröd. And he got his uh, moment of enlightenment when he was eating a croissant, a French croissant, and that's how this all started. You're not believing me, okay. (laughs) So, So smorgasbord essentially means what are the rest of the religions that we haven't really talked about we talked about 14 religions so far we talked about the five major ones and then some minor ones but essentially as you can read in paul's book there's hundreds of thousands of ways of being spiritual actually defined ways not just your own way but actually defined ways you can look up any of the major religions and that for example Uh, Daoism in China, and you realize there's hundreds of different flavors, or Buddhism, or any flavor, Christianity, there's so many different flavors. So what we were doing here, we're just kind of barely scratching the surface to get a little bit of an overview. And I think one thing to remember, and he mentions it in this chapter and has mentioned it in previous chapters too, is that we are really generalizing here. It's a gross generalization of anything that's being said and should never be taken as a specific representation of any religion because we can take a religion and make it our own and can be very specific about that. <clears throat> so here are the 14 that we looked at so far, more or less in depth or just relatively surfacey, and then We also had this slide here that I used a few weeks ago to bring in the understanding that when we look at those 14 religions that we have addressed so far, we're really only looking at kind of the modern religions, starting about seven and a half thousand years ago, right, where things were written down, usually based on some form of scripture, or following some form of a regulation, but we're really not looking at how old religion as a whole is. And I made the comment that basically religious thought, which couple of major questions that we end up asking ourselves sometime in our lives, where do we come from? And how was the universe created? That is much older than 7,500 years. That's probably as old as humanity and thinking thought. And then we're talking 100,000, 200,000 years, depending on who you're asking. And this map shows the migration across the world, so we get a bit of a sense of that Africa, where most scientists would agree it is the origin of modern human, is probably also the origin of religious thought. And then it goes across to Europe, the Americas, and uh, down to Australia. You can see the different numbers there, which are the number times a thousand years. So we're talking a much longer time here. And that's what the smorgasbord is about, mostly. He's talking about those religions who are not necessarily, have not been written down, where we don't necessarily have scriptures. We may have some paintings or some artwork, but mostly it's oral tradition, just to give you the context. So we're leaving that organized religion a little bit and go more into the intuitive religions, many of which are still available to us and practiced today. So let's start with Africa. When you look up a a religious map of Africa, this is what it looks today. Mostly Christian, then Muslim, and then Hinduism. But you have actually large areas in Africa, especially in the center of Africa, that are following some native religions. And as I said, African religion is probably the oldest religion that we know of. If we go beyond just the scriptural Uh, foundation of religion. On the right there you see how these religions have been memorialized. In This is Egyptian religion which is about 5,000 years old, 5 to 10,000 years old, and so you can see that Africa still holds on to some of those more native religions where there's a lot of symbolism. The picture on the left are very basic symbols that are representative of religious items or religious symbols, or there are different masks that are used in those more ancient religions to either represent a god or a spirit, or also being used as a protective measure to protect from certain spirits or to symbolize certain aspects. Then when we go over to New Zealand, we have the Maori culture, which is a Polynesian culture, also very old, and in Maori we have the masks taken to a completely new level. The mask on the right is a scary mask, and you see actually that kind of depiction of wood carving on the top of your house entrance quite often, and it's meant to scare away evil spirits. But it has a lot of other meanings as well. You have the split tongue, you have the bulging eyes, and if you've ever seen a haka, a haka is a Maori war dance um, that's very famous and popular around the world. The New Zealand Blacks, which is a rugby team, they they perform the haka as a team before every Uh, game. And if you've ever seen it, you know what I'm talking about. It's a powerful, powerful thing. There's a lot of yelling and a lot of (laughs) to make sure that your opponent is definitely scared of you, right? And that's in a a way a, a dance form of these wood carvings. What you also see in the wood carvings, the intricacies, you often see that in very tribal and traditional Maori they actually tattoo their face with those carvings. Some who are very religious or very into the Maori culture, you find those in New Zealand have their entire face tattooed. Maybe in a movie you have seen this before. And then, of course, you have the tribal tattoos in general. Hopping over to Australia, we have the Australian Aboriginal religion, which is called dreaming or the dream time. And the dreamings are often represented in paintings nowadays. On the left you see a more traditional central Australian representation of a dreaming, and it's kind of a combination of two things. One is it's the story of the ancestors, of the spirits of the ancestors who created the world, but mostly the surrounding area of whichever tribe did this and where they lived. In fact, on the left there and on the right, some of those circles have certain meanings, like a waterhole. Aboriginals still today, some tribal aboriginals still nomads, they still wander around. And this actually served as a way of understanding where to find water. There's also other elements, like pathways where the water goes through. On the right there, you have animals, because in dream time, for some uh, tribes in the Australian Aboriginal culture, uh, the ancestors are represented by animals, usually by desert animals. In the Arente people in central Australia, which is where Elaine and I lived for a while, Uh, The Arenda people see the snake, as you can see on the bottom right there, as the one who is carving the mountains into the world. Then these little creatures there with the yellow bottoms, those are uh, honey ants. That's little tiny ants who actually have a little sack of honey uh, attached to their bottom. And you can eat them, or you can just pluck off the, the honey, they don't die and you eat them, so it's a little sweet. And so that's a way of saying, well, we have various ant uh, colonies around this waterhole, but ant, honey ants or the honey ants also have some meaning, religious meaning. So you see in Aboriginal culture, the desert especially had a lot of meaning, and the animals and the way the desert looks like is of religious and spiritual meaning. Now, many don't know about the Aboriginal culture that there's not only just one culture. It used to be that there were 900 different dialects of Aboriginal um, people. And the country of Australia was divided into 350 different areas or countries, Aboriginal countries, before the white settlement. And so you can imagine how rich the Aboriginal culture is. For example, in the northwest, in the Kimberley region, you see that the Aboriginal paintings are more depicting people or spirits. The Wangina spirit is the Rainmaker spirit. There's actually seen as the one of the higher spirits that create the world through rain and so it's a completely different approach to religion in the northwest than it is in the center of australia but it's very animist it's very related to the earth to the desert and to the way of living in that area then, of course, we have, about 15,000 years ago, the Native Americans uh, in the United States, but also Canada. Here is just a, a hide of an elk, I believe, that has various symbols around it that tell both, again, a spiritual context but also a human context, explaining to humans this is what we did or this is what you can do in our area, or the spiritual context especially in Native American religion, where animals are also used as spirits to connect with those. The symbol on the bottom right is a simplified symbol uh, that's used among many Native American cultures, like it's representing the sun, the sun as the creator, the sun as the one that gives life, and the sun that represents happiness. It's a very important symbol. And any of those religions, Australian, Maori, Celtic, Inuit, um, Native Americans, they all have heaps of symbols that they develop to represent certain spiritual aspects. This is a stone um, symbol that's used by the Inuit people in northern Canada. It's a sign to communicate between different tribes and different cultures, and this is most people will know. Recognize this Stonehenge in England, um, connected some would say to the Druid religion, the Druid culture, or the more pagan cultures, and then we have the Wiccan religion, or Wicca, which has this symbolism where it's all about, again, the pagan relationship to earth and the seasons and so on. There's another image where you can see how the cycle of the earth, the cycle of the earth every year, has a lot of meaning. It has religious, spiritual meaning in that particular culture. So those are only very few of the religions that are outside of those that we usually think about. But what they all have in common is it's very close to nature. They're very related. They relate themselves to nature, not only just objects in nature, but also seasons or what happens in nature. Thunder has a meaning. Rain has a spiritual meaning, earthquakes, volcanoes, everything has a form of symbolism to make sense of where we came from and how this world came into existence. So now let's try to put this into the context of unity. First principle, God nature. What do we learn from all those other religions? And again, that's a heavy generalization. Many religions are actually silent on the topic whether there is an ultimate reality beyond existence or not. It's just not their focus. Very similar to how we see Eastern religions practicing. They focus on the practice and don't worry too much about how this all started. But some have a concept of a one spirit that underlies all. For example, in the Maori culture there is this idea of mana, and not to be confused with mana from the Hebrew scripture, the bread, but it can actually also be connected to that mana. Mana means spiritual essence, or spirit essence, out of which everything comes into existence. The Omaha people Talk about Wakanda, and when you read in, in Paul, Paul uses a book there, and the way it reads in that book, he uses a, a quote, how Wakanda is described. It's actually very close to what Unity describes God to be, as mind. First, God, mind, everything is mind, not in existence yet. And so the Wakanda idea is very similar, that at first, everything was spirit. And then it came into existence. And then in the, with the Hopi people in, in Arizona, there is this idea of tawa or tayowa, which is the sun spirit representing the sun. And those are more closely related to what we will call God, something that is outside or before creation. God and us, the second principle, Many religions use spirits and gods to relate to a spiritual world. So especially in those more ancient religions, we'll find that animals, nature, or natural forces are seen through the idea of spirits. That either the animal is representing a certain spiritual aspect of ourselves, it's representing God in one specific way, or we relate to those elements ourselves, pray to it, or we offer something to it in order to make that connection. So, which is obviously not unlike what we talked about so far. The Hindu gods and goddesses, the Catholic saints, the prophets, or the teachers and the way-showers, or even Unity's 12 powers or the apostles, Those are all symbols in the end, if you think about it. There's no difference in one way or another to pray to a saint as to praying to a tree, if they're both representing the same. There's no difference praying to a god or a goddess in the Hindu culture, or to a prophet in the Jewish culture or the Muslim culture, if they're seen through the same principles. It's just the way we l- relate or learn to relate to something that is bigger than all of us. And then some acknowledge something that goes beyond the personalization, the spiritual essence or sacredness. In the Maori culture, again, in addition to Manu, Tapu, then, is used to describe us. Mana? is god infinite substance tapu is us expressing that infinite substance meaning it's sacred and tapu can also be translated as spiritual restriction and if you study unity you know that in unity we talk about god being infinite potential and we limit that infinite potential we restrict it into this world so that we can actually work with it. Same idea. The Wicca religion often uses goddesses or God expression. You probably have seen this in movies or maybe know someone who follows that religion. They're very into actually expressing that I am the goddess, not just goddess outside of myself, but actually embracing that idea. And then in unity, We talk about God expression, or the Holy Spirit, and expression of that infinite potential. Third principle, most religions would likely agree that we are part of something greater. We may be guided and supported by individualized spirits, gods, natural elements, or animals. And some may embrace personal responsibility more than others. In unity, we're very big on taking on responsibility. We have the authority because we believe in the oneness between us and God. The authority is there. The power is there. Now we need to be responsible and do something with it. And some of those ancient religions have that very much in their culture to say, well, now you have to do something with it and some are a little less focused on that. The tools we use, well, there's lots of them, which is really the fascinating thing. Most religions, uh, those ancient religions, celebrate their spiritual connection through rituals and ceremonies, chants, recitations, songs, dance and sacred movements or sacred positions, and offerings or sacrifices that's the tools that are being used. And of course, prayer and meditation is always part of it as well. But that's something where I believe unity can learn a lot to bring in some of those rituals and ceremonies. And then we must take action. All religions show an emphasis on taking action. Some are more vocal and visible than others. I guess this is not working, now it's working. So. Unity is still a lot to learn in that regard, right? Those of you who have been around unity, you probably know, um, we're more of kind of like passive than we are active in comparison to some other religions or some other movements. And we're learning. We're learning to become a little bit more actionable because we have such an inward focus in unity. Then it's sometimes hard to remember. Well, the inner work needs to come out at some point. And um, it's not a secret that that's something that the movement as a whole uh, is still learning to work on. So in summary, We can basically go back to looking at those religions as a whole. Remember, we're going now 10,000, 15,000, 40,000, 70,000, 100,000 years back. So they have to be very simple. And most of it is handed down through tradition. And if you ever played the telephone game, you know what that means. Right? Anyone familiar with the telephone game? Right? So if I said something to Peter here in the front, <clears throat> and it could be probably even one or two words, and we will go all the way through the sanctuary, and then I would ask D at the very in the very back, except what is it? It probably will be something completely different. Right? We could start out with something saying like we're all one. Something very simple. Something that most of us agree with here in Unity. Something that we may have grown up with as a child and started forgetting. And by the time it ends up at D, then when I ask D, well, "What did you hear?" and he said, well, "Well, we're all over the place," or "We're, <laughs> we're separate." Like we all. And, and that's really the, the 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 complexity of what we're talking about, and and some of the beauty also right? That complexity and diversity is also beautiful. I want to finish with this before we move into meditation. And this is a map of probably the most detailed map I was able to find. Um, It's very small here, you can blow it up enormously big, but it shows some of the diversity of the religion that we have around the world by only looking at the first few major religions and then throw everything else into one color and call it other religion. What I want you to notice is that when we think in terms of global terms, we all approach our spirituality very differently. And as we already know, especially in the unity community, that diversity of religious expression is relatively high because we don't ask you to uh, confirm something or to convert. We tell you to stay as you are and then see where you want to go with this. And so we have a representation of this world here that is enormously complex And in detail, we all think very, very differently. We even may follow a certain religion, but our personal flavor is maybe completely different than we would otherwise think of that religion. And I think if there is one thing that I want all of us to take home with us from studying this book, is that there is a beauty in everyone's practice however they do it right now. What matters in the end is what are we doing with it? What are we going to do with it? What's the daily practice that we do? Are we kind to one another? Are we supporting each other? Do we develop our compassion ability? Are we generous? And regardless from where we're coming from, Those are all qualities that we can learn, regardless of what religion we follow. And hopefully that has been an inspiration for all of us to do and to align ourselves with. And so next week, what I will do is I will just review some of the religions again, look at Paul's chapter on the future of religion and put it in the context of, again, unity. What can we do as a unity community to foster diversity rather than limit it? To allow everyone to be as they are, and yet also provide a path that they may or may not choose. And with that, let us move into meditation for today. A moment and <clears throat> find a space of peace and joy, a space within yourself that gives you the balance you seek. A lot has been learned and discussed. A lot of information has been processed. And now is the time to let it all go. Whether we're inspired by the seasons as the pagan religions give importance to or by the gods and goddesses of the Hindu religion, the practices of Buddhism to end suffering the spirit animals of the Native Americans, the Inuit, the Australian Aboriginals, the frightful masks of the Maori, the prophets, the saints, or the infinite potential itself. whether any of that is inspiring us. We allow ourselves to release in this moment, our idea, our limitation, our concept of that, and dive into the infinite divinity we already are. So we breathe into an idea of infinite potential. And we exhale into this world, a manifestation that's directed by us, put together from us, and essentially is a perfect expression of us this month we follow the practice of gratitude not just because of Thanksgiving but because it allows us to see how we already get in the experience, what we desire. And being grateful for that is a celebration of ourselves as humans and spirits. give thanks to those infinite seemingly infinite varieties of spiritualities and religions we give thanks to our choices we made over our lifetime we give thanks of the spiritual path we follow today And the openness we have to change it at the moment's notice. We give thanks to everyone who joined us for our fall program. And learn more about what's outside of unity and outside of the religion we are most familiar with. We give thanks to our willingness to step aside, let go of our preconceived ideas to accept what is new. And finally, we allow ourselves to sink into the greatest depth of our spirit and celebrate that. Allow that to become first and foremost at the core of our being and everything we do. With that in mind and heart, we find harmony and balance and recognize the gratitude for ourselves and each other. So as we close today's meditation, we move forward with the idea of oneness. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.